0: Hey guys it's Hannah. Tyler and I were so excited to be back recording together again that we totally spaced on doing any sort of formal introduction for this episode. So I just wanted to say that we were lucky enough to be joined by a longtime friend of the podcast, Allie Fitzgerald. Longtime listeners should recognize Allie as one of our earliest guests on Between Lewis and Lovecraft and she always lends her acting and writing talents to our flash fiction specials. So just a big thanks to Allie for stopping by.
1: I I am just showing up because my son, for once, is taking a nap, and I have the ability to do something.
2: I was told you had to be here because you really wanted to be a part of this episode. Otherwise, I was like, mm, Dan
1: Brown's mine. Yeah, I mean, <laughs>
0: that is kind of how it happened.
1: That is pretty much how it happened. Basically, Hannah brought up, "Hey, I would love to do Dan Brown with Allie," and I was like, "That sounds like fun." I, although I'm sure I can say some some stuff she's like well you should come on and i was like okay yeah i'll do that so well
0: i didn't want to talk about like a controversial within religious communities writer and not have tyler have a chance to chime in that's fair
1: i've heard placed right. place at the table
0: <laughs> you built the table tyler
2: <laughs> probably i believe that
0: all right so um So before we dive in, Tyler, do you want to um, update all of our listeners on where you've been for the past few months?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, It's this place. um, It's a living hell where you get no (laughs) sleep. um, You sit around and eat too much and get fat. And uh, you're constantly stressed about the lives of other people. It's called fatherhood.
2: Wow, that was was a great marketing ploy to become a father. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I think you just sold a bunch of birth control pills. Good job. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Um my wife and I make the joke that when people ask us like is it is it worth having a kid? We're like absolutely it's worth having a kid, but do not do it. It's <laughs> it's so worth it, but absolutely do not do it. Um <laughs> I but, like that
0: you're honest about it. I'm so sick of just, like, all the social media accounts that are like, oh, my gosh, pregnancy and motherhood and fatherhood are so great. Like, nothing oh bad ever happens.
1: If you ever want to get a real honest opinion of what it's like to be pregnant, you can ask my wife. She'll tell you all about <laughs> it. She didn't – she she hated it, but she wasn't like, I'm going to die. It was just – this is – she's like, it's not for me. Being pregnant it's, is – not for it's
2: me. the process to attain the child she wanted, but she's mm-hmm. just like I. I'm not gonna sit here and think it's glorious like other people do.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah. And and being a father, I mean, I, I post about it on my Instagram. I, I love my child. I love my son uh, more than than anything in the world. Uh, there's times where my wife and I have literally just been sitting there on the couch watching him in his little his little rocker, and we just both start crying because. It's just it's just this beautiful, wonderful little boy, um, this this creature that lives in our home that I mean, like fully loves us just because we exist. Um, And and but at the same time, I've never in my life been more angry at something that does not deserve it. (laughs) Um, And like like there there have been absolutely several times where I've had to walk in here Well, I'm, I'm in my nursery right now, where we built this little nerdy nursery that we have. And I've had to walk in here, set him down in the crib and just, and just, and walk away because it's like that, the I'm so angry and you don't deserve my anger, but I cannot help but be angry right now. And, um, it's awful, but it's amazing and wonderful. And I wouldn't give it up, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell other people that they should do it ever.
0: This is the most honest parenting review I've ever heard. So thank you for that. Um, I'm really, I'm both happy for you and Rebecca because I think this is an amazing adventure, and you guys do seem to be enjoying it. And I am sorry for all of the diapers and screaming and sleepless nights at the same time.
1: The diapers are not a big problem, honestly. People are always like, "Oh, the diapers," and it's like it's really, it's fine. It's it's the sleepless <laughs> nights that that are the worst. That's when you when you wake up at two o'clock in the morning and you've only gotten an hour and a half of sleep um and you know that it's going to be another hour and a half if everything goes right before you can get another two hours of sleep it's it's one of it's one of the most um debilitating feelings you can be like you just you can't you have to work through so many emotions just to get up and it's it's really really hard I, I i genuinely like i don't think that i've ever done anything this hard in my life um but when i hold my son or when i when i wake him up now to feed him and he looks at me and he smiles and he coos because he recognizes me and you know i we started doing sign language so you know daddy loves you i do that a lot and Aww. and he responds to that like it's it's the, the absolute best thing in the world.
0: That's awesome. Well, I'm glad to hear it. And I'm glad that you got to come back for, for this episode so our listeners can hear from you. I know they've been eagerly awaiting updates on uh, your, your new journey. Um,
1: yeah. So now I get to preference everything that I say with, as a father. <laughs> it's going to be so insufferable.
0: Yeah. <laughs> It was already bad enough with like as a Christian, as a human man, <laughs> as,
1: <laughs> as a white male. Let me tell you what I. Yes.
0: Yeah, so, well, actually, you should be an expert then because we are going to talk about another white man. Yeah, uh, Mr. Dan Brown, who has a super boring name, but I think uh, it's a pretty famous one because he wrote the best-selling Da Vinci Code, which of course got turned into a blockbuster movie with Tom Hanks. I think they made. Ali, did they make? Just one other one, or have they made multiple movies?
2: They've made two, technically three. So besides Angels and Demons, uh, we got, or sorry, besides Da Vinci Code, we got Angels and Demons. They made Inferno, and then they now have a show on Peacock based off The Lost Symbol, which I have, I haven't seen the show, but based off the trailer, I have feelings.
0: (laughs) Okay, well, we will talk about those feelings later. Um, But first, we have to start where we always do, which is in the very beginning Um, Dan Brown was born on June 22nd, 1964 in Exeter, New Hampshire. Uh, he has two younger siblings, one sister and a brother. And, um, he grew up like basically on the campus of Phillips Exeter Academy. That's a prep school where his dad was a math teacher. His dad also wrote textbooks. Um, and he worked there for basically his entire career from 68 until 1997, um, and Brown's mother was a church organist and studied sacred music. Uh, she also taught music for at least a few years, I think, at Phillips Exeter. Um, so basically, he lived in two worlds as a child. His dad was agnostic and really into science and math, and his mom was a devout uh, Episcopalian. Is it Episcopalian? It's the Episc- Episcopal, yeah, it's Episcopal Church. Episcopal-
2: Episcopalian.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah, they worship Jesus and don't eat fish, right? Oh wait, they
0: don't no, eat that's... fish. Uh, no, no that's it's that's a... pescatarian. no, that's a pescatarian. Yeah, that... Stop confusing
2: me. <laughs> <laughs> see, see, he's become a father, and he already has bad dad jokes.
0: <laughs> well, you can't pull those on me because I know so little about religion. But okay, so Tyler, are Episcopalians? They're like Protestants technically, but don't they also kind of have a lot in common with Catholics? Uh,
1: yeah, I mean. I mean there's, there's a lot of um, Protestant um, denominations that still hold on to a lot of Catholic, um, Catholic things. Like, I mean, Lutherans, even even though they are the defining Protestant, they're the ones that were like, hey, we're absolutely not Catholic anymore. They're still They still have a lot of Catholicism in their belief system and some Methodists still do. It's like you have kind of, Denominations are more of a uh, a gradient, a, a scale of, you know, how close they are to a lot of the older beliefs in Catholicism and a lot of the newer beliefs in, you know, modern or free. We don't have to do the stuff that Catholics have to do.
0: Gotcha. See, and this is why I insisted that Tyler come be on this episode. Well, and and I'm I also... know Allie
1: knows some stuff as well, so. <laughs>
2: well, a little, I mean, I was raised more like as a was a very non-denominational Christian. But I didn't know this at Episcopalians. They uh, let women be priests and bishop sometimes. And they consider themselves also Catholic, even though they're Protestant.
0: Yeah, that was the main thing that I kind of like zeroed in on because I know that historically there's been a lot of tension between Protestants and Catholics, <laughs> um, which makes zero sense to me because I'm yeah. like, it all seems when, very similar.
1: When you go back, 600 years when
0: it mattered uh, more
1: when yeah when there was a huge division because Martin Luther was like hey I am no longer a Catholic I am something new like there was Wars literal Wars people were being beheaded and murdered and stuff because of this but now that it's been several hundred years people can kind of go I think it's okay I think we're gonna be okay <laughs> well everyone.
2: and the weird thing is is like I've I've gone to a a Lutheran church growing up and Catholic churches from friends. And the only difference is like a Lutheran service is like an hour shorter and their (laughs) hymns are like a little more liberal and like the session feels a little more fun versus like a Catholic service feels very stuffy. It's two hours long and it's like, more i think there's more singing in the in the lutheran church than there is Mm. at the catholic church but they still do the same thing where they break it up in hymns so it's just like a more laid-back version in my opinion
0: i think that's an excellent point um when i was growing up we were raised lutheran and my sister and i always called lutherans um just lazy christians because that's exactly (laughs) how it was
1: (laughs) the other thing you have to remember too is we're we're talking about churches churches can be as diverse as Christianity itself. So you can have three different Lutheran churches and you go to three different styles of church. Um, Same thing with Catholic church, same thing with any Protestant church, you know, it's saying like, Oh, these Christians are this way is really generalizing is kind of hard nowadays because it's all based off of that community, right? Like, you can go. I've been to three different Baptist churches and I've been like, I would never go back to this one, but I would go to this one regularly because they were so different. But they held on to the same beliefs. So it's it's I, I mean, when you get into that conversation, it really comes down to just your experience at wherever you went to or whatever they were doing at that time.
0: Right. So in Brown's case, I feel like he had kind of the more stereotypical kind of like stuffy church experience. Um, And I think it's interesting that like his parents were so vastly different because while there's not a lot of differences between like different Christian denominations, it seems like having an agnostic with like a very devout religious person. Would be kind of difficult, and like his mom taught him to put his faith in God, and his dad taught him to put his faith in science. So he was getting these conflicting messages.
2: I'm not sure when he he felt. Oh, yeah. So he said like in eighth or ninth grade. That was when he started getting more subjects. So he was learning more about like science and the origins of the universe. And he said this in a video interview that he said to his minister. He's like, I don't get it. I read a book that said there was an explosion. as the Big Bang. But here it says God created heaven and earth and the animals in seven days, which is right. And uh, his minister said that nice boys don't ask that question. <laughs> yep. So he said from like that point on, he like gravitated away from religion and started leaning more into science. Yeah, 100%. because
1: when you have leaders who don't want to give you answers because the answers make them uncomfortable. And you're someone who's been taught you need to find the answers, whether it's through scientific exploration or even through theological exploration. When you're given a question and people refuse to answer it, you're going to steer away from everything else that they teach you. And that's what happened with me, at least. Like I'm, I'm a follower of Christ, but it doesn't mean that I, put questions away because they're, you shouldn't ask them. It means I ask more questions. It means that Mm -hmm. I dive into those things. And so I honestly, I would probably side more with his dad in something like this, where I'm like, yeah, you should put your faith in science because that's the whole point of science is to ask questions and find answers. It's not a religion. It is a system to find truth.
0: Right. So, yeah, so we'll talk a little bit more about his, like, current religious attitudes later on. Um, But another defining part of his childhood that, like, is just so on par with who he became as a person is his interest in, uh, like, puzzles and and codes and stuff. That definitely came from his dad. Um, His dad, like, instilled a love of crossword puzzles and anagrams in him like he would spend his weekends doing these puzzles and on birthdays and holidays his dad sent the kids on elaborate treasure hunts so uh on christmas for example they didn't have any presents under the tree instead they found a map with like codes and clues on it and it sent brown and his siblings throughout the house and even their town searching for their christmas presents so just like anyone who already is familiar with dan brown's work should have like alarm bells ringing right now Well, and then apparently
2: uh, that inspired in The Da Vinci Code. He has Sophie and her father, Jacques. She said that her father uh, gave her uh, treasure hunts, and so he put that into the book, which I thought was sweet.
0: And we'll see him do that, like, with a lot of people in his life. Like, he definitely pays homage to people whose books he's read or, um, you know, friends and family members. So he is all about that. Yeah. And then education-wise, um, he attended public school until ninth grade, and then he switched to Phillips Exeter Academy, the prep school his dad taught at. Um, and then he went to Amherst College in Massachusetts for uh, university, where he studied music and writing. And this is another one of those areas where he was, like, kind of caught between two worlds. He really loved music, and he really loved writing. Um, he had kind of, like such a basic northeast stereotypical college experience he joined um psi epsilon fraternity he played squash and he sang in the glee club so he was a very uh (laughs) well-rounded individual with lots to put on his resume Mm -hmm. and then he studied abroad in the 1985 school year in seville spain where he took an art history course at the university there which, again, we're going to see pop up in his books later on. Uh, he graduated from college in 1986 and then tried to... He ended up choosing music, basically, over writing at that point and decided to try to make a career for himself as a songwriter. Uh, he had learned piano and music theory as a very young child, first just by like turning the pages for his mom while she was playing the organ or whatever at church. So he kind of just like was infused with that love of music and music theory from a really young age um one of his early projects that like just blew my mind was that he self-produced a children's like cassette tape called synth animals which included tracks like happy frogs and suzuki elephants and he recorded the songs using a synthesizer and made about 500 cassette tapes which he sold at a local bookstore nice well so i don't think it we have it like set
2: in but that's like one of his newest books it's called a D- uh, wild symphony that he yes just came i out with. have that at the end oh, okay my bad yeah i just thought it was so weird but now i understand why he has written that book because he dabbled with it in the past
0: <laughs> yeah i'll definitely talk about this more at the end but putting those two projects together was just like wow dan brown's life has really come full circle so yeah teaser but for I- the end of the episode. <laughs>
2: But I feel like that definitely represents, like, an artist trying to find themselves and figuring out which path makes the most sense.
0: Absolutely. For him, it it wasn't really music, but he tried it out for a few years. He even moved to California to try to, like, further pursue that as a career in 1991. Um, And he had, like little bits of success like in the early 90s he got some sort of production deal for an album of what he called basically like adult contemporary piano stuff and he compared it to like elton john and billy joel which seems like a bit of a you know you're really flattering yourself there
1: (laughs) yeah i'm kind of the next elton john just gonna throw that one out there
0: (laughs) but he said he was like trying to do this at the same time that rap was really taking off as a genre so that's what he blames for his lack of success musically
1: Oh no, man, good
0: no. lord! You know, just right <laughs> genre, wrong time.
2: No, that that no other genres can still pop off. You can sell it in a pop way.
0: <laughs> One really interesting thing about his music career was that he released a CD titled "Angels and Demons," which I was like, "What?" Yeah, and I for... thought
2: that was interesting too.
0: <laughs> so this was like, um, it it was kind of a religious themed album, I guess. Um, so reflecting those interests that he already had. And for the artwork, he enlisted the help of this dude named John Langdon, who, um, is an artist and a philosopher and, uh, apparently was a close friend of Brown's father. Um, so I think that's how he knew him. But John Langdon is most famous for his ability to create ambigrams, which are words that read the same, um, from right side up and from upside down. Uh, wow. it's a little bit confusing, but if you like Google it and look at pictures, you'll probably recognize it. Um, so he made an ambigram for the cover of the album that says angels and demons and, um, Brown ended up using that same ambigram later on his novel and commissioned other works from, uh, John Langdon and also named his most famous character after, um, John Langdon. So just like an interesting coincidence slash, mm-hmm. I guess not a coincidence, but some influence from the nineties that would then pop up like a decade later. And then since the music career wasn't actually um, paying him very much, he also taught uh, classes at Beverly Hills prep school. He joined the national Academy of songwriters um, and participated in many of its events, which is how he met his future wife, a woman named Blythe Newlin. Uh, She was the Academy's director of artist development and Uh, They really hit it off. So even though it wasn't part of her job, she took on the task of helping him promote his projects. She like wrote press releases for him and set up promotional events. Um, They started dating, but because she was in a more like senior position than him, they had to keep their relationship on the DL. Uh, Apparently they even attended the Grammys with different dates so as not Mm. to like arouse anyone's suspicions. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, super covert guys. Uh, they finally came clean when in 1993, um, Brown decided to move back to New Hampshire to teach English and creative writing at Exeter. Um, and she was going to move with him. So, uh, they got married, I think it was in 1997. Um, and in the meantime, he finally published his first book. It was a humor book, um, called 187 Men to Avoid, a survival guide for the romantically frustrated woman and for this he used the pseudonym danielle brown which is like just so creative good job dude
2: yeah well and i find this book ironic for what we're going to discover later
0: (laughs) i don't really know anything about this book other than that like it was a humor book um and he'd kind of been toying with the idea for a long time but i i believe blythe like kind of helped him with it too so he had at least a little bit of feminine perspective on his like fake women book yeah um so, yeah, so he was teaching, um, and then he got inspired to write his first, like, actual novel after apparently the Secret Service visited um, Phillips Exeter Academy to interview a student who wrote an email in which he joked about killing the president. Oh, um, my so God. So this, <laughs> I mean, it seems like they went a little overkill there, but I hope they scared the kids straight. Um The incident kind of sparked Brown's interest in covert intelligence agencies, um, and that formed the basis of his first official novel, Digital Fortress, which was published two years after he had quit teaching to become a full-time writer. That came out in 1998, Um, and it centered on clandestine organizations and code-breaking, which, as we'll see, are basically the only thing Dan Brown writes about. Um... So his writing career was kind of slow going as well, like Digital Fortress did not do super well by any means. Um, And then Angels and Demons came out in 2000, which introduces his most famous character, Robert Langdon, who is a Harvard professor of symbology. It got positive, like critical reviews, but it didn't sell particularly well. Um, And that book, I haven't read that one. Have you read it, Allie? Uh,
2: Yeah, so I've read all of them except for his standalone novels.
0: Oh, okay. So you're like the expert. I've only read Da Vinci Code, so I I mean I'm the expert in the
2: sense of it's been like ten years, so I'm gonna do my best.
0: (laughs) Well, okay, so can you kinda like give the rough plot outline of Angels and Demons?
2: Um Yeah, so I actually like Angels and Demons more. Um I actually read it after Da Vinci Code because Angels and Demons became super popular because of Da Vinci Code doing so well. So I actually didn't know like i thought it had come out after i was really confused um but this deals with the um illuminati specifically and i believe because paul bettany is in the movie so he's like a like devout follower of the um illuminati and it's it's like it's pretty graphic because he's like very abusive to himself like it's almost like cult-like it's really intense um uh I honestly don't know this. Bit. I mean, Hold on. give me a second. <laughs> he's
1: paying penance, right, for his sins. Yeah, so he he's to, yeah. He has to uh, whip himself as Christ was whipped, and that's well. That's penance. like
0: very similar to the Da Vinci Code too. The the main antagonist in that one.
1: Oh, am, yeah, I, but- am I mixing those up? Then is that what I'm doing?
2: Or I might be mixing them up.
0: Hold it, on. Which one is Paul Bettany? In? I haven't seen either of the movies. I was, I was going to watch The Da Vinci Code to, like, refresh my memory on the book for this episode, but they took it off HBO, like, two weeks ago.
2: Honestly, I should have, but I was like,
0: <laughs> I want to try to remember the books. Hold on, give me one second. I'll no, I was one. so mad because Talon and I started to watch it, like... Way before we even talked about doing this episode, and we made it to like the second scene, and I was like, Yeah, I'm not really feeling it. So,
2: yes, he is in Angels and Demons. So, okay, so the way that Dan Brown books work is that they take place over 24 hours, and Dan Brown, sorry, Robert Langdon <laughs> is always going to meet someone, whether it's at an event, or he has a meeting with them, or there's like a message that's supposed to be given to him. And whoever that person is, something bad happens to them. So then he can never get the information. So this one starts at a uh, laboratory called CERN, C-E-R-N, um, where there's a murder there that takes place. And there's like a, a container that has antimatter in it. And it'll it's going to explode in the next 24 hours. So that's the other thing about Dan Brown books. There's always a ticking clock. And it's always a 24-hour ticking clock um and this uh they they he knows that somebody wants to take it to Vatican City to blow it up mm-hmm. um and it's with a secret society that's the illuminati so i believe the illuminati is trying to take out the catholic church okay so that's what he's trying to stop the guy from doing is blowing up vatican city
0: okay gotcha gotcha so yeah so that one had pretty good reviews didn't really make waves in the in popular culture at that point Um, so he followed it up a year later with another standalone novel called deception point
2: which so deception point is it's similar to digital fortress in that it deals with um, covert intelligence and i was actually going to read it but he has two different main characters i was hoping they were the same character like he was starting a different series because digital fortress has a lead female character which i thought was really cool And so does uh, Deception Point, but they're different characters. So that Uh, personally threw me off and made me not want to read it because the whole point that the Robert Langdon series is so enjoyable is because you're diving in with the same character each time.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting choice. I wonder if there's a reason he didn't continue that with the same lead protagonist. I
2: I don't know. I think he was just trying to figure out like what would he was like throwing spaghetti and seeing which noodle would stick.
0: Yeah. And granted, this is still super early in his writing career. Mm -hmm. So it's not unusual, I suppose, to to try different things like that. Yeah. So yeah. So he returned to Robert Langdon then for The Da Vinci Code, um, which was published in 2003. And it like immediately hit the top of the New York Times bestseller list. Uh, which he found out, uh, interestingly, while he was on his book tour and had stopped in Portland, which is, Tyler's in my neck of the woods. Um, he walked into his hotel, and the concierge apparently told him he'd received a fax, because it's 2003, uh-huh. um, and the fax was just this giant number one printed on a piece of paper. So that's how he found out that he was number one.
2: And he also apparently sold 6,000 copies on the first, was it the first day or the first week?
0: Uh, it might have been the first day. I
2: think it was the first day. I think it yeah. It was the first day. Um, yeah. So, so that's a lot because normally that's how much someone tries to sell just as a pre order in order to get a second book. So that's insane.
0: Yeah. And that has become one of the most popular books of all time. Um, as of 2019, it had sold 250 million copies and been translated mm-hmm. into like a billion different languages. So
2: yeah, I think all his books total are printed in 56 languages,
1: close to a billion. Close yeah yeah. yeah
2: all of the um, languages I, so i actually have some uh since we're kind of talking about when angels and demons pops off um so like we know that his readers really love his books but critics and other authors actually like despise him
0: yeah stephen king's like shit talked him a lot he, uh, so, he called dan brown like mac and cheese or something like it was the intellectual equivalent to mac and cheese
2: yes <laughs> yes and then also i thought this was funny is that uh stellan starsgard he was in angels and demons so he was cast in a movie based off his book he willingly took the role but he still called dan a bad writer and he said the only reason why people like dan's books is because he has a cliff anchor a cliffhanger at the end of each chapter so it's like eating peanuts but you can't stop Oh my gosh! <laughs> sounds
1: just, like a good writer to me. If you, you, yeah, you, if you can keep which I will connected. get to. <laughs>
2: like, yes, I, I agree with that.
0: That just seems so unnecessarily mean. Not surprising from Stephen King, since he's mean to every other writer, basically. Um, but I I feel like you know Stellan Skarsgård Like, why would you say that about someone who gave you a job?
2: It sounds just like a stuffy actor who thinks he can do whatever he wants because he gets hired. <laughs> Yeah, maybe we yeah. should
0: try writing a novel.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, But I loved uh, Dan Brown's response to Stephen King. Um, he said that when he writes a book, he wants it to taste like ice cream with the nutrition of vegetables. And he really just wants people to enjoy his books. And he's not trying to illuminate William Faulkner. And he never said he was like that type of writer.
0: Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think like everyone can have their own opinion on writing styles. And that is true that... He does rely a lot on cliffhangers, but there's a lot of fascinating information in the Robert Langdon books. Like when I was reading Da Vinci Code, I was like, holy cow, I never knew this. Or like, wow, like there's so much crazy backstory to this one painting. Who knew? And I think it's even more crazy, like and why
2: I have so much more respect for him, because he literally details everything, whether it's a painting or a building or a historical landmark. He describes it from top to bottom, in between, flushes out all the colors. And then when he's explaining something, like, I know some people have said, like, not all of his stuff is historically accurate. But regardless of that, like, the amount of detail and description that he puts in and still somehow manages to, like, keep the pace going and keep you interested. That's a lot of hard work.
0: Right. Yeah, right. Absolutely. And I think it's easy to look at Dan Brown and kind of see how he came to write those books, especially like, he's very smart. He knows a lot about religion and art from his studies and from his family upbringing. Um, and obviously, he has that childhood exposure to puzzles and ciphers that helped with the the Da Vinci Code and all of those other books. Um, but in one inter- interview, I know he said that um, Robert Langdon is the man he wishes he could be. He <laughs> describes him as like more daring and more intelligent. And when he was like pressed on that, like, Because readers will be like, Dan, obviously you wrote this, so how can Robert Langdon be smarter than you? Um, He basically said, when Robert Langdon looks at a painting and says, let me tell you about this, and then rattles off all the backstory, (laughs) uh, Dan Brown's like, that took me three days to write. So like, (laughs) that's something you have to consider.
2: I think he's kind of cheating, though, because he actually gave Robert Langdon the characteristic of photographic memory. So like Robert Langdon can just easily remember stuff because he has photographic memory. So like he kind of gave a cheat to his character in my opinion. Um, Yeah. It's, it's also interesting because there's an academic named Joseph Campbell um, who wrote extensively on mythology and religion. And he said that um, he was really influential on creating the character Robert Langdon. So he said that Robert's actually based off of Joseph, but I also think that, like, Dan himself is intertwined into Robert just because the way that, like, especially when we come up to talking about Dan's most recent book, Origin, uh, Dan is really heavy about, like, trying to ride this line in Robert where Robert tries really hard to respect, like, the religious world but, like, also gives a lot of credit to the scientific world and how, like, you can't argue that those are true
0: right and uh, so that leads perfectly into what we're going to talk about next which is kind of the the controversy with the catholic church in particular um so you know angels and demons came out a couple years before the da vinci code and then da vinci code got really popular and then in 2006 when it was turned into a movie directed by ron howard and um starring tom hanks that's when it like exploded because Mm -hmm. even if you've got a best-selling book like if you have a movie Way more people are going to see it, so I think that's really when the Catholic Church like got Dan Brown on their radar.
2: Well, the Freemasons also hate him because he has written a, like because in Angels and Demons it's like huge Freemason stuff, and then also in The Lost Symbol, and like he has so many fun conspiracy theories about them, and like the Freemasons hate him.
0: Yeah, but uh, <laughs> are there as many Freemasons as Catholics? I don't know any Freemasons.
2: No, but the the hate is. The you hate he got from those books is pretty bad.
1: Yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know about it, right? That's yeah. the whole point of the Freemasons: is you wouldn't mm-hmm. know. And that's actually his whole point of talking about them is he's like, look, when you have a group of people who are doing secret things in secret, you you are giving everybody else the liberty to make up whatever they want about mm-hmm. what that's a good you're point. doing. So. He's like, so I enjoy writing this stuff because I get to make up whatever I want because nobody knows what they do.
2: Yeah, yeah, they're
0: leaving a big void.
2: Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why I think Dan Brown is so interesting to his audience is because he has all these fun conspiracy theories. Like, he's just experimenting with, um, like, what people have put out into the world and whether or not they're true.
0: Yeah. So I guess before we get into the Catholic Church stuff, um, since I'm curious about it, Allie, what does the pushback look like from the Freemasons since – Nobody's well, supposed that, to really know who they are.
2: <laughs> well, that's that's literally what Tyler's saying is that, like, he just doesn't like the th- – they don't like the things that he's written, which is uh, – I believe in Angels and Demons is that, like, the Illuminati and the Freemasons are, like, intertwined together. They're, like, an underground society that's always, like – basically they're, like, a form of science that has always been against religion. Um, and they have, like, all these, like, culty things that they do. So he just makes them look like they – are like involved in the government like they've been involved in like um like how uh like that declaration of independence has been written like all that stuff and it, it basically just that like yeah like it's hard to explain because we don't know what the freemasons do
0: <laughs> yeah but like how do they express their anger like do, do the freemasons have a pr person who's like sending dan brown hate mail or what's going on i think he just got like a
1: stabbed rabbit on his front door and then underneath <laughs> it was it just had the little freemason little symbol things, like, okay oh okay i get it. they don't like you now got it
0: that's on brand but like in that case it could also be a weird teenager who's just like pranking him <laughs>
2: um what if they I have so long when I was at freemasons and dan brown
0: I just really uh, want to know who the Freemasons, like, press person is so I can reach yeah. out for an interview. That would be a
1: really hard job, huh? like, being their their <laughs> their lawyer who's, like, for the public. And, and it's like, all right, so what do the Freemasons want to talk about in this PR release? Oh, they can't tell you. So then why are they having a PR release? I mean, they have something they should tell you, but they're not going to.
0: I'll bet a really gifted writer could spin like at least 500 words and say nothing in the same in the same press release. Yeah,
1: exactly. Like, hey, yes, the Freemasons do exist. Uh, We're not going to tell you why or where they exist, but uh, the fact that they do exist is proof that they exist.
0: See, you should be their press person, Tyler. (laughs) That was exactly what I was imagining.
1: Freemasons, reach out. I'll be happy to be your press guy. I can write. Tyler
0: Tyler has no time. He's exhausted, but he'll be your press person. Hey,
1: they're probably hooked up. If they're going to pay me money to be their PR guy, then I can quit all my other projects. I'll devote (laughs) all my time to this.
2: Oh, there are people conspiring that Dan Brown is a Freemason.
1: Oh, <gasps> no. he's a spy of course for
2: the are. U.S.
1: Dan Brown, Freemason, exposes it all.
2: Oh, weird, because I read something a while ago that said they like didn't like him, but then there's this other article saying that they think his novel is good fun.
0: Oh, they have so... got a sense of humor.
1: Yeah, it's like it's when they realize how uh, shitty they come off by not liking it. Then they're like, oh, no, uh, we actually liked it the whole time. Um, we just didn't want to tell you guys because we're a secret order and you're not allowed to know what we actually think about stuff.
2: Yeah, that that checks out. So I have a quote for you guys. We're very pleased there is nothing – they're talking about the Da Vinci Code. We're pleased that there's nothing in this book that will offend my organization. It does give us the opportunity to open up a bit, said Grade Levenston, the Grand Master of the United Grand Lodge of New South Wales and Australian Capital Territory for for Freemasons.
0: The new, threat. oh, sorry, I got that confused. I thought you said Wales and Australia, and I was like, wait, they've oh, yes. got like multi
2: continents. Yes. <laughs> it's the Grand Lodge of New South Wales and Australian.
1: Yeah, so, <laughs> okay. so the Australian Freemasons are cool with it.
2: Yeah, so and they, they were excited about the lost symbol coming out. I'm oh. sorry,
1: uh, can we actually have you redo that quote but with an Australian accent,
2: please, <laughs> Allie? Uh, my Australian accent. Accent sounds kind of like this, which is more British. I can't really do an Australian. Crikey. <laughs>
1: Crikey, so, we Andy, love this book. Kangaroos <laughs> and Dan Brown are good with us.
2: <laughs> I feel like I prepped so hard to know Dan Brown that like, now I'm like, oh, God, I should have actually focused more on the book. So you can retract my statement about what the free. I know the Freemason said bad stuff about him when Angels and Demons came out and I can't find it anywhere.
0: Maybe no, they that's Okay, it. we're keeping the Freemason stuff because I like Tyler's bit about stabbing a rabbit on his door. Yeah. Who knows, maybe they retracted it from the internet. They I think they the did. Internet. I hate <laughs> when they do that. Yeah. <laughs> Leave no trace. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so I guess going into then the more public and like um, quotable <laughs> controversy. Um, he got a lot of blowback from the Catholic Church especially when the Da Vinci Code movie came out. Uh, because, of course, that raised the profile of the book. Uh, one cardinal named Tarcisio Bertone, who was uh, he's important because he was close to Pope John Paul and he formerly formerly held a very powerful office in the Vatican. Um, so Bertone called the Da Vinci Code a, quote, sack full of lies. And he urged Catholics to mm. shut it like I'm, rotten I'm food. I'm so sorry.
1: I'm so sorry. Hannah. This guy's <laughs> obviously Italian. I'm gonna need the quote no. with an Italian accent, real quick.
0: You say "sack full of lies" with an Italian. It's a sack, a sack full of, of lies. lies.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, everyone who's listening to the podcast needs to know that Allie and I both did the Italian hands. You have bossing. to do it.
2: They have they they have an emoji for it now. Yeah,
1: it's great. Uh,
0: yeah. Wow. <laughs> okay, so with the emoji, a sack full of lies. Perfect. Um, So most of the controversy, as I understand it, seems to center on the fact that in the Da Vinci Code, the major plot point here is the theory that Jesus married Mary Magdalene and had children. Bertone said the book sows doubts and dangerous confusion, and he implored Catholic bookstores to not sell it. Um, So yeah, so what do we think about this reaction from the Catholic Church?
1: It seems correct from the Catholic Church, it seems correct.
2: We know how much the Catholic Church hates being told they're wrong because, like, they were created out of the Crusades. They, you know, the, what was it, the King of Rome said this is the right way to be a Christian um, and took it away from the Jews. So, like, they're writing off of, like, their own sort of made-up belief. Yeah. And they have to keep that intoned because, like, if correct me if I'm wrong, Tyler, but aren't they, like, the most powerful, like, religion?
1: in christianity
2: uh, in, in a sense like the catholic I mean, it, church is it super depends powerful on
1: what power you're talking about as far as like having like money influence and, yeah i mean like they're they're they they're have the most the whole, organized they have a whole fucking little country, country. to themselves that they just took mm-hmm. because italy was like yeah i guess we're not we can't really do anything about it <laughs> um in christianity absolutely they are um so sure
2: yeah, I think it's cool, though, having, like, the conspiracy theory that, like, they created a, loyal, a, a royal bloodline. I think that just people don't want to say that, like, Jesus and Mary hooked up and did the S.E.X.
1: <laughs> no. Yeah, is that like, the just like, like no. is it just
0: <laughs> such a, like, prudish religion that that's why they can't admit it? Or is there actually some threat that they would face if they acknowledged this theory?
2: Well, cause Mary Magdalene is technically supposed to be like a prostitute in the Bible. And like Jesus is technically a savior. So they like the, in my opinion, the Christian church has never liked to admit that Jesus walked around with homeless people and prostitutes and like the lower class. That's something they've always like been against in what I've been taught. And so for Jesus to hang around with Mary Magdalene, who is considered like an awful person, um, that would then make him not holy and not sacred. Um, And it's weird, too, because, like, we also have, like, Saint Mary, who is completely different from Mary Magdalene. Yeah,
1: there's too many Marys. It's Jesus' mom.
2: Yeah, which, but Jesus also came from God, so I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) It's just all these, like, weird things that never, like, add up and make sense in the religion for me. So if I'm, if we're going to have religion, I think it's way more fun to say that they created a royal bloodline. And have like a whole like secret around it trying to keep it sacred from the world sorry catholic church but your bible is puts me to sleep
0: (laughs) i like how you're approaching it from a we need a fun story um which is exactly what i agree with yeah um so from my perspective going into reading this for the first time for this episode like i actually expected dan brown's book to be a lot harsher on religion and the catholic church and when i was reading it i was like oh that was totally a so much incorrect. Yeah. And, and a biased, um, standpoint to come into it from. Cause like you said earlier, Allie, like he spends a lot of time towing that line between science and religion. Like he, mm-hmm. he definitely doesn't shit on religion. And he specifically says at different points throughout the book, like, you know, there's a lot of value to, to Catholicism and the art and, and the values that they have. Um, But he's just kind of playing with an idea. Like you said, like he's exploring an idea in this book. And I think it's really interesting. So it's easy for me to say as an atheist, as our listeners know, but like I don't really get the backlash from the Catholic Church on this one.
2: Well, I think the whole issue is that like if you're religious, you're supposed to have faith. You're not supposed to question it like at all. And if you do question it, then like you're a disbeliever and you're not a good Christian. And you're never supposed to question it because God is always right. Like God is always the answer to everything. And so I think that, I mean, and that's kind of like my biggest problem with religion is that like, you're not allowed to question it. You're not allowed to have like your own thoughts and feelings around it. So it's like any type of questioning or hesitation or like changing what the word says is like the biggest no, no.
0: And I think that kind of leads into, um, you know, talking about Dan Brown's own religion. So, he doesn't fully identify as an atheist. Like, in a couple interviews, I, I heard him talk about how he just can't make that step, really. Uh, in part because of his his upbringing, but also because the more he learns about science, the more he feels that there has to be some greater power out there. So he's definitely not an atheist. Um, but his main problem with religion seems to be kind of like yours. Like, he he doesn't like that in so many religions, you're not allowed to question things. And one of the quotes that I like from him was... Uh, He said, one of the challenges of religion is reading metaphor as fact. Not only are you not allowed to ridicule it, but we're going to debate whether to teach it to our children as fact. And in that quote, I think he was referring to like creationism versus evolution. He's like, Mm -hmm. that's fine as a story, but when you're trying to tell kids that that's how the universe was created and that evolution doesn't exist, like that's a problem.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, and we're not there yet because... His most recent book I read is The Most Fresh in My Brain, and it talks exclusively about, like, where did we come from?
0: Well, do you want to just go ahead and talk about that one now? Like, um, I think, so the other Robert Langdon books were um, Inferno, or The Lost oh. Symbol, Inferno, and Origin.
2: Okay, so I have a couple notes on those. I feel bad. The Lost Symbol, I really enjoyed. I honestly can't remember the majority of it right now. I know that at one point, Robert was trapped in, like, a coffin that was filling up with water and it was really stressful (laughs) that's pretty memorable it's a it's again it's a 24-hour time period but that book is a slow burn but there's a lot of cool stuff about freemasonry and science technology in that book so definitely go read it um and then i'm upset with the show because they cast this actor who looks like he's in his 30s but robert is like in his 50s and i'm just like fuck you hollywood uh, Tom Hanks is my Robert Langdon. I don't try and make him younger for television. Um, and then with Inferno, I'm actually really upset. So that book I remember well because I'm so angry at the film. Oh wow! So the context of Inferno is there. Okay, this part I don't remember exactly, but there's some type of like chemical that uh, this uh, person is trying to release into. I think it's some part like. Between Africa and like Egypt, there's like a, there's like a water, like a a water area, like a river or like some part of the ocean that apparently like this water entry, it releases to every part of the world. I don't know if that's true, but in his book, it was true. So they want to put this chemical into the water. And what that chemical does is that it will randomly decide in your DNA whether or not you can produce kids. It essentially is the book. The whole thing of the book was like whether or not like the Earth is becoming too populated, and that we need to like slow down um, people giving birth so we can like catch up. Otherwise, like we're gonna run out of resources and die. So that was more of like a evolutionary kind of science book. And yeah, like a
0: biological weapon.
2: Book. Yeah, and so spoiler: the book's been out for a while. Um, in the book, the guy succeeds. And they're unable to stop him. And um, the the woman that he was working with, I can't remember what like intelligent agency she was a part of. Her and Robert were both kind of like, well, the earth kind of does need people to stop reproducing for a little bit to help itself. So it was like really dark. But in the movie, they They save the day. Because oh no one gosh. no one wants to release such a controversial statement to the world. And I was infuriated because I That's think it's horrible. something... Yeah, and I think it's something really interesting to talk about. So I was mad that Hollywood did that.
0: That's a pretty um, bold change.
1: It's mm-hmm. like the whole point of the, of the story of the buildup is to get to that point and they took the whole thing out.
2: Yeah. Hmm. Um, and then so in Origin, which I just read... That is essentially, um, there's this guy named Edmund Hirsch and Dan, I'm sorry, not Dan, Robert, <laughs> is going to, going to his big uh, scientific discovery opening. And this book takes place in Spain. So that's another fun fact of Dan Brown's books. All of his books take place in different European countries, um, except for Inferno, which took place kind of all over Europe, which was cool. And he does so that because
1: one, it gives him an excuse to take a vacation to these places. Yes, so he, he
2: has to it. travel to all of them so he can describe them accurately. Yes. And write it uh, off on his taxes.
1: Absolutely. Right? What a nice...
2: Yeah. So uh, this one takes place in Spain. He's going to go see his friend Edmund, who was basically like a like a super smart kid who like excelled in school beyond everyone. And um, he believes that he has made the most extreme scientific discovery and it's going to rock the religious world and in his discovery he discovers two things which is the big question of like where did we come from and where are we going and so in the book he discovers that none of the bible is true and that he was able to use like um, artificial intelligence and like computer science to help him copy an experiment that was like done in the 80s And work through all the different variations because the biggest issue is that like these guys in the 80s had taken like some soil and some microisms but they needed like 80 billion years to pass in order to see like what the outcome would be. And it's essentially that like nature just kind of like grew off of each other and like developed over time. And so that was like disproving the church. But then he said the future is going into where humans and AI are like intermersing with each other. And that like technology will eventually take over humans, but humans will learn how to work with it and they'll become like an intermixing of one. Um, So that was kind of interesting because in the book, he like he has this character admit that these things are true and that religion is not a thing and that religion will also die out. But Robert is like, I don't know. He like feels really uncomfortable with it and because so much of his work is done in symbology through religious pieces and robert's like i don't actually know if i'm okay with this answer and it's really unsettling for him which i think is a good thing to say that like dan brown is still like religious and respects like the religious world and he doesn't know how to solve his debate between the two
0: that is really interesting i definitely after reading the da vinci code i think i'll read more of his Robert Langdon books in particular just because like aside from all of the kind of more in-depth symbology and and exploration of religion and science like they are just wildly entertaining so I'm glad that you've read all of them and enjoyed them so much and I definitely want to catch I'm gonna up reread
2: well. them now because I'm kind of upset how much I don't remember <laughs> well
0: it is a little bit hard too because they are very similar in structure I mean yeah like you said so it, I also read most together. of them like
2: 10 years ago so I'm like cool <laughs>
0: And I know that in the past he's said like he has ideas for, I think he's mentioned like 12 Robert Langdon books. So I'm sure we'll be getting more.
2: Well, so I was like, after at Origin, I was like, I need more. I need more. And I was researching and people said that supposedly he's in India. So maybe we'll get a book about that. But I also have a theory that because, which we're going to get into this controversy, but he was in court last year with his ex-wife that took up a lot of his time so because normally mm, we might be a, a book already. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah well we shall see so i guess moving on to um his controversies do not solely lie with the catholic church um he's also been the subject of several lawsuits for plagiarism which i feel like when you're a successful author like you tend to be a magnet for that kind of stuff um so it's not completely unheard of Um, But there have been a few authors who have tried to sue him for plagiarism, most notably in 2006, so like three years after Da Vinci Code came out. Um, Two authors named Michael Bagent, I think, and Richard Lee, uh, claimed that Dan Brown stole ideas from their 1982 book, Holy Blood, Holy Grail, and that had really advanced the theory about Jesus and Mary Magdalene. Um, And Brown even apparently alluded to the author's names in his book, so apparently Lee Teabing... Who is mm-hmm. one of the main characters in both the novel and the film um, derives his name from uh, Begins, like it's an a- anagram of that. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, even, even uh, Kevin Smith had his movie Dogma, where it's put forth that Mary Magdalene and Jesus had a bloodline, and that the last surviving daughter of that bloodline was going to save god um and had to stop these angels from going through it it was it's a comedy it's a it's a you know it's an interesting idea but i mean it's literally the the last girl in the zionic bloodline is going to do something which if we go back to the the da vinci code that's that's what he proposes in that story as well it's so, just a theory, uh, yeah.
2: Yeah, and I think it's it's an obvious one too. Um, but it was funny because about that case, uh, the justice Peter Smith he found in Brown's favor, um, and as private amusement, he embedded his own Smithy code into the written judgment.
0: Yeah, he was apparently <laughs> really big on on codes and um, cryptology, so he kind of put that in as a chuckle for himself. And I think it was like people tried to like get mad at the judge about that but he was like you know it doesn't have any bearing on my judgment like just have a little bit of fun
2: well and also like like we're just discussing about this this whole thing about like Mary and Jesus and how common it is um Ed Sheeran was just in a lawsuit for one of his songs and he I don't remember the number but he's like you guys there's 15 chords for pop songs (laughs) we're all gonna copy each other at some point so for something like this it's so common we're all going to come to the same conclusion at some point. I mean, like, I feel like that's the biggest struggle with, with scientific discoveries, too. Like, everyone's working on the same thing at the same time. It's just a matter of, like, who gets there first or who's the most popular.
0: Yeah. And in response to what seems very transparently like a frivolous lawsuit, um, Random House, his publisher, actually countersued those two
2: yes. um, <laughs>
0: authors in England. So the, America, like, it's basically impossible to get any sort of compensation for frivolous lawsuits like you're stuck as the person being sued with all of your legal fees but in other countries like england you can totally recoup your losses from the uh, other party if they're found to have like not had any substantiation for their lawsuit so random house got uh those two authors to pay them uh nearly six million dollars so, that's great yeah i don't know if they had that money but yeah Hopefully that discourages other um, petty lawsuits. Yeah. The other scandal, which uh, you've kind of alluded to, is his very messy divorce. So in 2019, after 21 years of marriage, Brown and his wife separated. And he like was very transparent about crediting her for supporting his career and helping research and shape his books. Because um, she was like, a, she's a really smart lady too. She had a mm-hmm. lot of knowledge in um, the artistic world and also um, contributed research to, I think he um, specifically said with the Robert Langdon books, like she helped a lot with the research for that. Um, and even in like his very early musical career in the album notes for Angels and Demons, he thanks Blythe, um, quote, for being my tireless co-writer, co-producer, second engineer, significant other and therapist. Um, but The kind of massive success and wealth and fame that comes with being a best-selling author uh, eventually, I guess, had a corrosive effect on their marriage, and uh, they drifted apart. That's how Brown puts it. Uh, Blythe says uh, Dan led a secret life and carried on an affair for many, many years.
2: Well, (laughs) Tyler's dancing now. (laughs) According to the, the Daily Post, which, you know, is so trustworthy in the UK. Uh, yeah, I trust it, it for daily, gossip. Celebrity daily gossip, mail. for sure. Yeah. So the tea from them was that they had hired this woman to train their horses. And yeah, because
0: Blythe got really into dressage, which is probably a product of being massively wealthy. Um, That's what yeah. wealthy wealthy people spend their money on is expensive, fancy horses. So they hired this horse trainer. I think it was
2: like... 2013 or 14 they hired her and uh she came over from holland and then at some point got like a shoulder injury and they like let her stay in their home to heal so Mm -hmm. she was she was like down the hall and that's apparently (laughs) when their affair started and that's Blythe didn't know about the affair apparently until post-divorce but she said that after the a uh, horse trainer had moved in that's when her and Dan started having more arguments he was becoming more distant and mm-hmm. like picking fights with her so yeah and then i was reading something else that apparently he said that he had like been with a couple other people also like the past six like last couple of years of their marriage so so
0: like pre horse trainer or post
2: i think it was pre but it was towards the end of their marriage
0: Okay. Yeah. I know in, um, court documents, Dan said, um, that basically their marriage had effectively been over since 2014, which that timeline Mm kind of checks out if the, uh, the horse trainer moved in, in 2013. Yeah. So, so yeah. So when they divorced, um, Brown said that Blythe got half their assets, which I feel like is pretty typical, but Mm -hmm. then later she sued him because she accused him of not disclosing some of his assets um, and that's when kind of all the tea started to come out was in these court filings. That's when she said that he had led a secret life, uh, for years. And she was particularly mad that he allegedly bought his, um, Dutch mistress, two Frisian horses that apparently cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. I think they were, gifts.
2: I think they were 600,000.
0: Yeah. One of, just Good, one of them Lord. was, I think $325,000. Yeah. <laughs> Like that's, these are ridiculously fancy horses. Yeah.
2: And this is kind of one of those points where you're like, oh, don't meet your hero kids. Yeah. Because I love his books, but I'm like really, really heartbroken about oh, this. Oh, Allie,
1: come on. You're going to come on to Between Lewis and Lovecraft and think that the author we're going to talk about didn't sleep around with other women? Come on. Even the women are I mean- sleeping with other women. Let's go.
0: <laughs> it
2: just sucks.
0: It does, um, uh, cause he does kind of have, like Dan Brown. He's not like a sexy dude by any means. He's kind of like dorky no. and nerdy looking. Have you, you seen look-
1: Isaac Asimov? And that dude, yeah, I didn- that dude <laughs> fucked. Am I right? He got around. <laughs> I'm always dude,
0: surprised by this.
1: <laughs> he's got the chops.
2: He's got the- well. You know what's funny is that the the horse rider. She's uh the horse trainer. She's she was like 29 um Ooh. in all of r- the books robert langdon which i've always just ignored this because i'm like ah,
1: fucking super young trope.
2: chicks he's always going after younger women yeah like in uh was it inferno
0: no well like strong. the female protagonist changes every book so robert langdon always has like he's some got hot hundreds. new thing yeah, yeah. Yeah, he which has a Which is, like, girl. such a yeah, trope, but also, like, yeah, Dan Brown, not immune from being so a pervy old man.
2: It's Inferno, because I believe Inferno, t- t- it takes a lot over um, Italy, which, honestly, like, it's kind of cool. Like, if you wanted to read Inferno and then, like, go tour Italy, you could, like, see everything he's talking about. But the girl in there, I think she's, like, in her mid-20s, and I was like, why? She's so young. and then origin at least like he he went after someone who was his own age but she was also like engaged to the prince of spain but that was a little bit more amical where like robert never said he had feelings for her but like they both would like stare at each other and have like these moments or he'd like touch her lower back and then the the character in the book she's like I realized in this moment that I had feelings for two men, but I'm going back to the prince that I was just like, well, at least (laughs) it was her sacrifice! Yeah. Like, I don't know. It was just, but yeah, most of his women are really young.
1: (laughs) I'm I'm going back. I'm going back to be with the prince. He has many expensive horses and that's what I look for in a man.
0: (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, we definitely have come to expect this from our, um, are people that we feature on Between Lewis and Lovecraft, but it of, is disappointing. and two,
1: okay, of all of them, I think we've only had three that didn't cheat on their spouses. Tolkien? Tolkien, uh, Lewis, and Lovecraft. Lovecraft was the only one that, that didn't cheat oh, on Oh, so Lovecraft <laughs> was just a
2: horrible person in other ways. Yeah.
1: He, like, he,
0: had a 16-year-old boy come stay with him for a week. Like, First of all,
1: he was 14. Second of all, he went to the boys' house for two weeks. Thirdly, he wasn't married at that time.
0: I still don't think we want to have Lovecraft on the relationship-like win not, category. It's not a matter of no. whether
1: we want him there. I'm just saying of all of the authors we talked about, you know what, I take it back. Lorda Lorna McDoodle, McDoodles. She would <laughs> never let that man cheat on her. That's a guarantee. So
2: we've had four just, who haven't cheated. <laughs> I'm just happy that Tolkien is a good
0: man. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Thank. <laughs> There's still God. a few
0: of them, but yeah. So I, it's such a bummer that it when this happens, like it becomes so public too. Yeah. But yeah, that's why we know about it and can discuss it on our show. Yeah. Um, And yeah. So they settled the lawsuit last year. They finally came to some sort of undisclosed agreement in that Mm -hmm. suit. She got half Um, the horses. (laughs) Yeah, they went and took the horses back from the Dutch mistress. (laughs) (laughs) Other than that, like the only other uh, major project he's had come out lately was you had mentioned it earlier um a an illustrated children's book called wild symphony which was published in 2020 um this is his first picture book and if you would have told me before starting this research that dan brown wrote an illustrated children's book i would have been like what that nerdy da vinci code dude
2: and the fact that it's the number one New York Times bestseller – oh, wait, no, the author
0: is. I don't know how well the book did. Do we know how well the book it did? It probably was a bestseller because it's got Dan Brown's name on it.
1: True. Let's see. Very true. Yeah, uh,
0: like he could, he could, you know, write something on the back of a receipt and it would be a bestseller. Like, <laughs> did you find was... out if it's a bestseller, Allie?
2: It just keeps saying how Dan Brown is a bestseller yeah, but not Yeah, it number
1: one bestseller.
0: Mm, maybe it didn't do so hot it has a
2: four star rating on barnes and noble's website
0: okay not bad it includes um an accompanying soundtrack that brown actually composed himself so he went back to his musical roots and like you mentioned earlier it was based on the songs that he produced 30 years ago for synth animals he like revamped a bunch of those songs and wrote some new ones and had them recorded by an orchestra in Croatia, which is just like full circle, Dan Brown. Well, he said he's
2: going to donate the royalties uh, to support education for children worldwide through the New Hampshire Charitable Foundation. Maybe that's Very part nice of that. the like
0: um, lawsuit settlement because Wild Symphony was one of the projects that she specifically cited in that. As like, oh, he didn't tell me about that. I want the money from oh. that too.
1: Mm. But if he gives it away, then she doesn't get it yeah and he looks like a cool guy
0: not to like beat the dead dressage horse here but uh-huh. she she made so much money when they got divorced like this well, is just petty i know and that's why like it's hard because I mean, she did she he cheated did, but he cheated yeah i know it's
2: i don't know i just
0: half of whatever money they had together is so much money like yeah why why expose yourself to all this criticism and air your dirty laundry just for like a few more million
2: yeah well, I probably because she knows now that like they're divorced he's gonna continue making money and she's not gonna have a piece of the pie
1: yeah, it's yeah. like
2: i know that you i mean she should have married him in california
0: <laughs> do you get more there
2: uh alimony till you die yeah literally like no matter what whoever made the most income you pay your spouse you pay them a monthly alimony unless you can prove that they're making more money than you or like equivalent and that they have a stable enough job that they don't need you otherwise you're paying that them alimony till you die
0: nice damn he was mm-hmm. smart for marrying her in new hampshire then because i yeah new hampshire is a pretty uh libertarian state i doubt they have that <laughs> alimony law <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, so yeah, so Wild Symphony, um, also, even though it's a kid's book, like, it incorporates a lot of coded messages and clues, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, and even though we can't figure out if it's a bestseller or not, MGM is already turning it into an animated movie, so. Good lord, man. That gravy train is still coming. They also have an interactive app, (gasps) where
2: you go, it's an exciting musical adventure with Maestro Mouse and his symphonic friends.
0: I don't my want my books else. to be apps.
2: Yeah, I guess it allows the readers to listen to the picture book. It plays audio recordings of the orchestral music composed by Dan Brown. And mm. it has beautiful illustrations by the
1: artists.
0: The music is actually pretty good. I was listening to it and it's like it's fun. It's peppy.
1: I always find it really interesting when artists are able to take um their artistry and add some other stuff. There's a band called Showbread and they were they were big in my circle back in like 2007 they released two CDs and each CD was a full album and then there was a story that you're supposed to read while you listen to the album and he specifically the author specifically says like go into your room and like don't be around anybody else listen to this on headphones and read this story while you listen and it's like got tracks and and time stamps for when you're supposed to read certain things And it was a really immersive way of listening to this album. So I think it's really cool when people try stuff like that.
0: Yeah, I like it on a case-by-case basis. Like, definitely when it's done well, uh, it's super impressive. I just, just, I'm one of those readers slash music consumers who I like to do each thing individually. Yeah. It's a little overwhelming for my brain when I try to combine all of the different stimuli.
2: I'm just selfish and want to know when Robert's going on his next adventure can't hook me with like five books and then disappear for like seven years
0: yeah because origin came out in like 2017 so yeah we're five years out with no sign of a new book yet
2: yeah it's not okay
0: well gang uh is there anything else we have to say about mr dan brown uh this is one of those great episodes where we don't have to end with and on this date he died because he's still alive
2: he's still alive we're we're waiting for his next book
1: i've been holding my tongue quite a bit um is you that guys, so? You guys got through your whole religious controversy thing, and I barely spoke up.
0: <laughs> Do you have a sermon that you'd like to deliver now? Yes, please. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Proceed.
1: <clears throat> just pull out my binder here.
2: I thought you almost said Bible. <laughs>
1: Let me just pull out my son's very first Bible Aww. here.
2: That's at least a cute one. I had a Precious Moments one.
1: Um, I have, I, by the way, that Bible is next to The Office, child's book.
0: Wait, is that like the show The Office?
1: Yeah, it's it's the children's version of The Office.
0: Oh my gosh, you're never too young.
1: No. Anyway, <laughs> now, does that's... it
0: have That's What She Said jokes in it or no?
1: Ooh, you know, I haven't actually read it yet. I'm waiting <laughs> until it's old enough, but I'm definitely going to be looking for that for sure. I really hope so um, so the the couple things that I wanted to bring up that I just kind of uh circulate in my brain are um the reason why I think the the church very much lost their shit um with Isabakashi, the sort of thing um is just because there is so much um predicated on like the fact that the Bible is the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Right? So if there's extra canon um, information, then that like, it's like, okay, well, then what else could there be that the church isn't teaching us sort of thing? And so that creates uh, insecurity in the church. I'm fine with it, but that's probably why they freak out because the second somebody is like, oh, there's more to the story than what the church has told us. Then everyone starts going, why, how come you guys haven't been telling us the whole truth and nothing about the truth. So I'm, you know, I think that's why it's, it's there. But um, the thing that I really wanted to like touch on was, I, I think the reason why it's so easy for people to freak out is because he does such a good job of writing the truth in his stories. So much. Like he's, he, like what Ali was talking about, where he's constantly like over describing things sometimes. Like you're, you can see the buildings that he's in, or you're learning all this stuff about a painting and, and you're getting sucked into it. And it's like, oh my God, this guy knows so much. It's everything he's talking about is so intricate. And then he, and then he just adds in this little, and don't take it the wrong way, but this little lie into a story, right? And because that's what it is. It's an exaggeration. It's a lie. It's a, it's a non-truth. You know, the Da Vinci was, uh, Da Vinci was this great master and he, and he painted the Mona Lisa three or four times. And if we do x-rays, we can see paintings underneath. All that's true. And then he goes, that little lie is, and part of that is the truth of Jesus. And and then it's like, oh my God, you know, and and- <laughs> And it's this thing that I've noticed since I've watched. I, I watched The Da Vinci Code and Angels and Demons where I, I don't have a problem with it because it's a, it's a fictional story. It doesn't, doesn't matter. If anything, all it does is it, it develops the, uh, the process of asking those questions. And I think that's really important. I think it's good. I'm, I'm okay with it. I, in fact, I encourage it. But with that and like Rick and Morty does this a lot where Rick and Morty has a baseline in foundational truth, and then they go off in a direction, and people love to use that as a, you know, like, (laughs) like they do this whole, like an episode where you spend an entire lifetime in a simulation video game, and people are like, that's what it could be like, and it's like, you're right, that is what it could be like, but that's not what it is, or at least we don't have This as the truth. And so when like Dan Brown writes, well, this is what it could be like. This is what if Jesus was buried? And what if they had kids? And what if his his great, 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 great granddaughter was still alive? This is what it would be like. And it's like, yes, you're absolutely right. That would be cool. But there's nothing to prove that it's like that. But then people start to incorporate that into the way that they view religion and philosophy and stuff. And then you're arguing when, when I argue with people about this stuff, I'm not arguing facts and things. I'm arguing with an episode of Rick and Morty. I'm arguing with Dan Brown's Da Vinci code where they took an idea and they spun a whole story out of it. And that's where like, I have a little bit of a problem of like, yeah, it's a cool idea, but you know, that's not real, right? Like, you know, that, Rick and Morty's a cartoon where they can literally do anything they want to do and it's fine. Or Dan Brown can write whatever he wants. He has a freaking android. In, or origin. And it works because the story works. Right? And, but we don't have androids. <laughs> There's, there are no androids in the real world. So I'm not going to argue against that because it's not a real thing. That's where I get a little iffy about stuff. When people start to to meld together things that should be disassociated from each other.
2: That's unfortunately the fault of like human stupidity where they take things too far and can't just let it be a story.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and that's the problem on both sides. People take it, the church takes it and goes, how dare you say something like that? And then non-Christians are like, you know, like how dare you, you say that you can't say that because that's the truth. Now that I believe it's like, it's not, Mm -hmm. but it's not though; it's not the truth. Um, so, uh, but I, I, I really liked the Da Vinci Code and I liked that uh, what you guys kind of talked about already is that he is really, really, he puts divinity in his books. I mean, at least the, the movies. I shouldn't say the books because obviously the movies are different than the books. You, you pointed that out, Ali, with Inferno straight up being like, no, nah, we're not going to do the actual message of the book. Fuck that. <laughs> but in, in the Da Vinci Code, we see magic. We see actual divine magic happen, and so he's he's obviously putting in there, like maybe, huh? like
2: it happens. Yeah. It happens in the books too, especially because I think it's in Da Vinci Code or is it Angel? I don't remember which one. But one of his books, it's either Angels and Demons or Da Vinci Code. There's actually a few Catholic priests that they believe in uh, the Big Bang. And then they also believe in the Bible and they talk about how like if, the, if for them, they believe God created the big bang. So it's that's like divi- that's like divineness and magic for them.
1: This guy, Tyler? this guy right it's, here, you believe that it's not yeah. hard to reconcile those two things together. It's when you create the divisions that it's like you're you're creating the division, not me. Mm-hmm. It's really easy for me to go. Yeah, the big bang happened. And also God was in charge of it. Super easy. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I think that's kind of like how I was raised as well. Obviously, I'm a huge disappointment to my mom now because (laughs) I'm an atheist. But um, she was always very much the, you know, not literal interpretation type of, of Christian. She was like, you know, it says the world was created in six days, but like days doesn't have to be literal. Days could be eons or something or or you know, entire Jurassic eras. Like, it doesn't have to literally be six 24-hour periods.
1: Or it could be a response to the Old Sumerian where different gods created different parts of the world over the course of a week in seven days. And Moses was like, oh, you had seven different gods creating the world in a week. Not only did one god create the world, but he did it in six days and slept on the seven. So our god's better.
2: (laughs) yeah well and there's something that that a quote that dan brown said when he was talking about like uh him coming like melding his scientific and religious beliefs he said the irony is that i've finally come full circle the more science i studied the more i saw that physics becomes metaphysics and the numbers become imaginary numbers and the further you go into science the mushier the ground gets and you start to say oh there is an order and a spiritual aspect to science and i feel like that's kind of our like I fit in because I I personally don't really like the way that religion has been interpreted through the church. I'm not like super in love with like the explanation of the Bible. But I do think that there has to be some sort of like cosmic force out there and I don't know what that is and I don't really feel like it's my job to define it or share it or pass it on to others. Mm-hmm. But like I do think there is some type of like sort of universal spiritual cosmic present out there because there are certain things that happen in our life that I feel line up in a specific way or have like a weird feeling around them. Um, but I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say like I believe in the structural way of the sense that there's like a heaven or a hell um, just cause I've had people in my life that have passed recently and I'll have like family ask me how I feel about them. Like, do I think they're surrounding me or that they're here? And I'm like, no, I don't know where they are or what happened to them, but, like, I don't feel any spiritual presence. And it's interesting because other people talk about that. And I'm like, no. So that's why it's, like, I I think – I don't know. And then I also love to dig into the history of religion. And, like, if we were to pick, like, the oldest form of religion, it's it's technically, like, you know – greek mythology like zeus and all those gods and how they were created and how they were also like technically created from humans and their belief in like how the world worked so whenever i've tried to discuss with people like the history of religion they go no the bible the bible and i'm like okay well what about like the jewish religion that technically historically was created before your very specific like protestant bible your your king james version they're like no no, it doesn't exist. <laughs> what? That's kind of my first... That's yeah. like I've, I've literally had people tell me that, and I'm like, if we're going to debate religion, we have to talk about history, too, and where yeah, a lot of these things came from.
1: Absolutely. And, and you're absolutely right. There's other faiths that, that existed before the Christian and Jewish Hebrew religion, and it came from those things that we have what we have today. And so it's... It's about having an honest heart. And I'm not a spiritual person myself. Honestly, I'm not. But I am someone who has faith because of the things that I've seen and and experienced and and logic. Like I, I, I agree with Dan Brown. The more you look into stuff, the more logic you find in the universe. And it doesn't scare me to ask questions. It doesn't scare me to look for answers that are outside of the King James version of the Bible. Because I believe that the King James Version of the Bible can be fallible. And that would piss a lot of people off. But it can be. And it is. And there's other things that you need to find in the writing of the Bible and in history. And so I like the dissection of one's faith through the lens of historical facts and trying to understand the world around us to understand the God that created it. Um, And so, yeah, at at the end of the day, everyone's going to make their decision and land on whatever side of the line they want to land on because you're making choices so that you don't have to change as much as possible. Humanity hates change. And that's why we make the choices that we do. If you two suddenly decided that you believed in the same God that I did, you probably have to make changes to your lives. You're not going to do that. And if I decided to stop believing in God I would start changing the way that I treat people or the way that I interact with people because I don't I don't believe that Christ is is real. And I don't I don't need to do that stuff. And so I I think that everyone lands on whatever side that they need to land on so that they can continue to be who they want to be. And until that person is no longer accepted by the people around them or that they have become so disassociated from who they want to be because of who they are that they will never change they'll just continue to stay themselves and that's where religion can come into play it just validates who you are and who you want to be whether you have religion or not it does the both it does the same thing on both sides of the line
2: you really need to read origin next (laughs) Okay. It 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 literally is talking about all these philosophical questions.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I was going to, and then I saw it was like twenty eight hours long, and I didn't have time. But so. <laughs>
2: well,
0: you can read so it's it like now. twice as long as Da Vinci Code. <laughs> yeah, I was like,
2: it was. I was trying to get. I got through it. I think in like four or five days. But I was like, man, this book's taken forever. <laughs> yeah, four
1: or five, five days when for a book that long work, is pretty fast. When I go back to work and I have time to just kind of listen to an audiobook again i'll probably do Mm. that one next
2: yeah that's really good i think i'm actually gonna like
1: reread the books (laughs) yeah all in order i hear my son losing his shit so my wife probably needs help right now
0: all right well uh thank you both for joining me uh thanks for coming back tyler
1: yeah i'm happy to be back happy to bring the ghoul gang back
0: oh god Can never, never shake that nickname.
1: Never, ever going to shake the ghoul gang.
0: Tyler has returned to his life as a dad. Um, But we're going to leave you with um, some quick housekeeping notes. Tyler and I have not decided who our next author is going to be, so we don't really have a teaser for you. Uh, But in general, please follow us um, on Facebook at Lewis and Lovecraft, um, on Instagram at Lewis and Lovecraft. And if you want to email us with comments about the show or suggestions for authors to cover in the future, you can contact us at Lewis and at and Allie, where can um, people find you if they want to follow your work?
2: Um, so I actually just started doing a booktube channel I'll be doing book reviews on there and other things bookish um, so that's Allie's reading corner on YouTube I'll give a link to Hannah for her to put in the show notes uh, or you can follow me on Instagram for more bookstagram stuff which is underscore Ali Fitzgerald
0: I'm so excited that you're getting into booktube I tried to do that like as a part of this channel for a second and I just could not keep up with it so I'm really excited to see your stuff
2: I'm excited, too. It's definitely a lot, a lot of work, though, especially because, like, I want to challenge the booktube field because I feel like there's definitely more that can be done. So that's my goal.
0: Ooh, that's a good tease. As always, thanks to Jake Basson for our awesome intro music. You can follow him at SoundCloud.com slash Jake Basson. That's spelled B as in boy, A-S-S-E-N. Um, subscribe if you haven't already so you don't miss new episodes I know we've been a little inconsistent in the past few months but we're hoping to um, get back on track now that Tyler's uh, baby is is getting a little bit older and rate and review us on iTunes and Podchaser and of course tell a friend a friend like Allie Fitzgerald Uh, thank you so much for coming on and talking with me about Dan Brown and and all of his exciting novels so much
2: fun thank you for having me